Hello, and welcome to When It Goes Wrong, the podcast exploring disasters, accidents, and times when everything falls apart. I'm Jasmine, your host, and on this episode, we'll be discussing the treacherous journey that Scott and his team took to try and reach the South Pole for the first time. It eventually ended up with all members freezing to death after being beaten to the pole. I, I've been wanting to do this episode for a while because I do find it very interesting around all of the Arctic and the Antarctic. And I know that we've done a lot of uh, mountaineering so far, which is obviously cold. So we've talked about cold places, but we've not talked about these. And there's quite a few areas in this that I've always been interested in, especially around like uh, the the terror and the Antarctic and the Arctic and, and some of the stuff that happened up there. But I decided to start at the bottom of the world uh, in terms of our Antarctic episodes. I decided to start with Scott because I didn't know that much about it and I thought it would be an interesting place to to learn more. In terms of background, at the beginning of the 1900s, it was still like very much a time of exploration. So there was this like real phase of time where everyone was obsessed with like trying to go to the Arctic and the Antarctic. And I guess it's because they had done a lot of exploring on land, on like normal land, right? By that point, they'd like been to all the continents and, and you know, colonized. Um, and so clearly they were looking for someone new. They were looking at the Arctic and the Antarctic and they were like, these are the places that we now need to go and explore and understand and, and kind of conquer further. They were doing many trips, both to the Arctic and the Antarctic at this point, mainly in the name of kind of scientific pursuit with the idea that hopefully uh, they would advance a lot of these kind of scientific areas in terms of, of going to these places. They were often in the Arctic looking for the Northwest Passage uh, and then down in Antarctica, they were very much just kind of surveying, seeing the wildlife, seeing they were really obsessed with the penguins, uh, which I would be too, so that's fair. Uh, And then, yeah, really trying to hit the North and the South Pole to kind of claim them, uh, obviously, as, as, as their own. At the point of Scott's doomed trip to to reaching the South Pole, he had previously been to the Antarctic, so he wasn't uh, new to the Antarctic, and he had previously done a very large trip uh, called the Discovery Trip, after they're all named after the boats that they used. And so on the Discovery Trip, they didn't try and go for the pole, they basically just kind of sailed down there and did a lot of exploring. And they did the, they actually landed uh, in the McMurdo Sound and right near Mount Erebus. So when I was reading, I was like, oh, what a small world that it's all in the same place. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should very much listen to the episode where I talk about the crash of the plane into Mount Erebus. Yeah, so they really kind of explored that area and did a lot of a lot of kind of scientific discovery. And Scott wanted to do these trips to Antarctic to Antarctica because it was very like well respected in the UK at the time and you know we're talking like the 1900s here it like the early 1900s it was still very much like a class based society and this was this was a way for him to get status and a way for him to hopefully get a promotion was to really kind of specialize in this area on the first trip with discovery uh, they did and they started doing this concept called overwintering and this was kind of some of the first time that that 
it had been done in the Antarctic and this would then allow uh, the following trip to, to happen. But basically overwintering is they, with the sea ice around Antarctica and the Arctic, it melts in the summer and freezes in the winter. So it's easy for them to sail into Antarctica when it's the nice summer uh, but they basically have a choice of okay we can either leave before it freezes again and it's obviously quite I guess temperamental in terms of like being able to predict that when that is or they could do this concept called overwintering which is basically where they allow themselves to get frozen in so they allow their ship to get totally frozen into the ice and they have no way of leaving and they basically they're like committing then to spending their whole winter on the ice just waiting for summer and waiting for the next the next kind of window in terms of travel so they did that in the Discovery, and that was what they were then planning on doing in the next trip that Scott was doing. So after Discovery, he headed back to the UK, was there for quite a while. And whilst he was there, uh, Ernest Shackleton took his expedition to Antarctica on the Nimrod. Um, but he, so I'm sure we'll talk a lot about Shackleton in a future episode, but Shackleton had been on Scott's discovery trip and was very successful. And then he led his own trip down there. And in that trip that Shackleton took in Nimrod, in Nimrod they actually climbed Mount Erebus for the first time. So looping back again. Uh, and they also attempted to make the pole, but they didn't They didn't make it successfully. So he got as far south as had ever been done before. So he got within 97 miles of the pole. And he chose to do this using ponies. And I mean, I'm sure you're like, mm, or like me, I was like, I don't think horses in Antarctica are a thing, right? <laughs> but apparently it was at the time. Uh, so they used ponies to get them there. And they, there seems to be, and this is like something we'll talk a lot about a lot in this episode, is that there's Shackleton and Scott and the British in general seem to have this like bigger version to using dogs and using dogs to, to kind of haul and, and, and transport them on the ice. Uh, and I think that that probably is just like a lack of understanding of actually how to how to manage them and control them and, and, and use them because especially when they are like pack dogs, they need very different management than your pet dog, right? So anyway, Shackleton went, he got near the pole on ponies and this obviously like frustrated Scott because he was like, oh, Shackleton was on my expedition. Now he's gone and, and did better than me and got closer to the pole. And Scott was like generally grumpy with Shackleton anyway because Shackleton had gone to the McMurdo Sound when he promised Scott he wouldn't. It's a little bit tit for tat at this point, isn't it? So he kind of is, yeah, getting a little bit grumpy and... This kind of spurred Scott on, I guess, in terms of then Scott thinking, right, I need to go back to Antarctica. I need to get to the pole. I need to beat this and be the first person to to get there. So at this point, it's 1910 and Scott was ready to try it again. But at the same time, <laughs> there was a Norwegian called Roald Amundsen. I'd Amundsen? I'm I'm hoping that's right. I should have I should have watched something on this. I did watch something on this. Anyway, I should have listened better. Um so Amundsen had been also preparing his trip to the pole and he was very keen to get there first. And Amundsen did a very different 
approach, I guess, to Scott in terms of how he was going to get there and the the support and the the kind of amount of resources that he had. Okay, I just listened to a video. It is Amundsen, thankfully. I thought this was going to be very embarrassing if it wasn't. So yes, <laughs> so he was he was off on his way. So when Scott, so let's go back to Scott. So Scott was preparing to head back to Antarctica and he found the boat called Terra Nova. And so this is often referred to now as the Terra Nova Expedition. And he had a huge amount of people like apply and really want to be involved. There was like 20,000 people or something that wanted to be involved because this was like very high profile in, in the UK at the time. It was like it made all the news, you know, it was it was quite a big deal. So he had a lot of people interested, but he picked 65 crew and and got them ready to ready to go with him on the Terra Nova. And he and and this this trip was actually quite privately funded as well. So he was aiming through this kind of private funding to to go on this trip to achieve scientific advancement. So before the trip, he very much was focusing on the fact that this was a trip for scientific advancement. It wasn't a trip to make the poll. It was just maybe they would also make the poll at the same time. He, yeah, it was a bit of a, maybe a bit of a, a spin <laughs> on in terms of what, what he was saying. And Scott wasn't convinced about how he should get to the pole or how he should kind of travel in Antarctica. And on his discovery trip, he they had done like a lot of experimentation with the dogs and he just did not get on with them. <laughs> they just really did not work well with the dogs. And I think they were all killed in the first one. Yeah, which is really tragic. So, but he, on this one, on the second one, he wasn't really convinced of what to do. So he decided to take three transport methods. So he took ponies, uh, because he had seen Shackleton kind of successfully use them relatively recently. He did take dogs, but not a huge amount of them. And then he also took motor transport for the first time. And that was, they had kind of adapted uh, like snowmobiles effectively. And, and And what he had created actually was the first prototype for the snow, like the snowmobiles, you know, where it's got the like track that that threads round you know like if you think of like a tank you know that that kind of thread um he they had created something like that that they took with them as well but they hadn't been they hadn't been used previously so yeah he took all those three i don't i mean spoiler he didn't have much luck with any of them again dogs because they just didn't really understand them and didn't take that many but also the ponies he Basically, there was like a horse master, but the horse master was busy. So he sent someone else to go off and buy the ponies that they were going to take. And they just bought bad ones that weren't going to be good on ice. So yeah, it wasn't going very well, particularly from the start. So they headed off on the Terra Nova and once they arrived in Antarctica, they made land and they camped in the Cape Evans Bay. And the first season they were there, it was the start of, of laying the depots for the pole attempt. So it is quite hard, obviously, it, like the trip itself would be a long trip. So we're talking like months in order to get to and from the pole. 
And so because of that, trying to feed all these men with lots of food that they would need because they're doing a lot of exercise means that they would have to figure out how to kind of manage this food on the on the way there and the way back. So what they would do is they basically started stashing several depots of food at like set distances between the ship and the pole. So they would do all these stashes and then the previous year and then it meant that when it came around to the next year when they were they wouldn't have to take as much at the beginning but also they could leave food in these depots and when they were on their way back you know they didn't have to carry all the all the food for their own back they would just pick it up as they as they hid it when they returned so and that would help because it just would mean that they weren't hauling as much like equipment and food with them so they did that in that first season it didn't go that well. Uh, they did do quite a few depots, but the ponies they used weren't in great shape. So they decided to take the ponies for this kind of depot laying mission. Uh, and that didn't go well. I think the majority died on the trip uh, or like fell into crevasses and that kind of thing. Just didn't really, there was not a lot of luck for animals in this episode. I'm sorry, everyone. And they crucially at this point they had this depot which they called the one ton depot uh presumably because it had a ton of food they wanted to put it in one place but because of the lack of success with the ponies scott ended up deciding that they were going to put it 48 kilometers earlier than they had planned so it was actually much closer to the ship than it was to the pole so yeah so they got back with like two ponies i think they like started with like 11 they came back with two and they and then and then winter hit basically so they overwintered uh, they were frozen in and they were basically waiting for the next season and like by all means they seem to quite entertain themselves in this overwintering period they like wrote a little newspaper and they did a lot of like lectures and they obviously still had like a lot of jobs to keep the ship running and keep like the dogs and the ponies and keep everyone fed uh but yeah it's an in- it's an interesting concept i feel to be like oh it's gonna be dark now for the next like four months like let's just sit and wait anyway so the following spring it was time for the trip to the pole so what Scott had decided was he had decided that 16 men would set out and they would be split into different parties. So some would go first in the motor cars and they would stock the camps kind of further towards the pole that they hadn't done the year before. And the rest would basically work together, manhole supplies over the glaciers and into the polar plateau. And Scott would essentially kind of turn the men around at set points, uh, leaving only four to make the final push to the pole. So 16 were going, but 12 would would be turned around at specific times and they would go back so that then they could make it back to the ship on time. And also it meant that they were then kind of stationed to to meet the pole getters on the, on their return journey so the hope was that they could uh yeah go back to the ship and then and then come out and support the the guys that went to the pole so the ones that left early on the motor cars the motor cars failed pretty early on so they only did about 80 kilometers of travel before they failed uh which is a shame i mean obviously they were a very good idea but they weren't yet very functional was the first time after all but this meant that they had to manhaul 
pretty much everything. And manholing is exactly what it sounds like. It's literally putting all of your stuff on like a sled and pulling it. So not only are you walking huge distances in very cold weather, you are also hauling everything that you need to take with you. So they're, you know, exerting like huge amounts of energy every day. So they need a reasonable amount of food in order to replenish and actually have the energy to do this. The groups met each other and they did have some of the ponies, but they then killed the ponies and stored them for food. Like I said, not great for animals on this episode, but that was that seems to be the general gist with animals in the polls from what I've read, that you kind of keep them along until you want to eat them. At this point, when they were getting ready to kind of continue over the there's kind of like a big a big like barrier almost of of quite like steep glacier and cliffs. So they managed to all get there together and but at that point uh, the kind of first of the things went wrong so they had a very big storm at that point and they had to camp for an additional five days while they waited for it to pass and obviously that wasn't really accounted for in terms of their food and their uh, oil for fires and that type of thing so that meant that they at that early point were already starting to eat into the rations that they were planning for later. So they continued on uh, onto the plateau that that eventually would take them to the pole. And Scott decided on the party who would who would continue on. So he hadn't actually decided. He decided on the twelve. Was it twelve? He decided on the sixteen men that were going to come with him, but none of them knew if they were actually going to be chosen to go to the pole or not. They would only know at the last point. And Scott said he would do this based on how fit they were and and who looked like they would successfully make the pole out of everyone that was there. So he decided at that point and he had originally planned for four of them to go, but he ended up selecting five. So the selection was Scott himself, Wilson, Oates, Bowers and Evans. But obviously this is another thing that's going to play into it because suddenly you're going from four to five and suddenly all of your rations and your food now needs to feed five people instead of four people. And they had basically done all of the calculations and that type of thing based on four. So it wasn't, in hindsight, maybe the best decision that he made. But he did and they continued on and got closer and closer to the pole. But the closer to the pole they got they saw evidence of the competing expedition and it became clear that Amundsen had beaten them to the pole. And they he had actually beaten them by a lot, by over a month. So Amundsen had... Scott knew that Amundsen was going to make an attempt at a similar time, but didn't know when that would be. But Amundsen set off very much earlier than Scott did and he took a much smaller party and he also used the dogs which I'll talk about in a sec and so when on the on the day that the good the interesting thing about this whole story is that because it was 1912 or whatever it they all wrote very extensive diaries because I think there's not a lot to do in the Antarctica when it's cold and dark so they wrote lots of diaries so we have lots of things to read which is which is super interesting so yeah on the day that they got to the pole and they saw that Amundsen had beaten them scott wrote in his diary the pole yes but under very different circumstances from those expected great god this is an awful place and terrible enough for us to have labored to it without the reward of priority well it is something to have got here 
and I think that that sums it up really like this sucks but I guess we made it so yeah not not great when they got there and and obviously a bit of a blow to them so yeah Amundsen had really done a very different plan than Scott and he was Norwegian and he had done a lot of like research and time preparing for the trip and really learning how to use dogs so he had done quite a few trips before, but he'd also spent a lot of time like in the in the Arctic in like northern Norway and and kind of Scandinavia learning about yeah how the dogs were and how how best to use them, how best to manage them. And so five of them set off for the pole, but they took fifty two dogs, so like a lot, <laughs> I think how many did Scott I think Scott had sixteen men, but only like twenty dogs or something silly so it was a very different plan that Amundsen was following. And with the dogs, they were able to cover 30 kilometers a day, which is way more than Scott because Scott was on foot. They were manhauling. It took them a long time. It, it's one of these things where it, it, it snowballs, right? So with Amundsen, they were moving a lot faster. So therefore they had to take less food. Therefore they were lighter. <laughs> therefore they moved faster, right? So it's like this nice successful circle whereas with Scott they were moving really slow the fact they were moving slow meant they needed more food the fact that they needed more food meant they had more to carry (laughs) that made them slower you know so they were both in these kind of loops uh, and that made sense why Amundsen was was so much more successful but if you, I, I won't spend huge amounts of time on Amundsen, but he's, he's a very interesting man. And it was a little bit ironic because they he made it to the South Pole first, but actually what he had really wanted was to make it to the North Pole. <laughs> so when he made it to the Pole, he wrote in his diary, never has a man achieved a goal so diametrically opposed to his wishes. The area around the North Pole, devil take it, had fascinated me since childhood. And now here I was at the South Pole. Could anything be more crazy? <laughs> He had a whole backstory to this as well, basically, because he wanted to go to the North Pole and then ended up on this trip to the South Pole. But yeah, worth reading if if this is something that interests you. Scott made the pole with the four others with him but obviously getting to the pole is only the beginning of the journey so now he had the job of getting back to the ship getting back to the ship at this point with no motor cars no dogs no ponies they'd been walking for a really long time they were all really tired they were all really cold and yeah getting back was going to be a challenge So the first three weeks that they walked back seemed to go well. They had some very good marches, but it was clear that frostbite was starting to take its toll. So it was very cold uh, and, and would soon get even colder. And both Evans and Oates, who were there with him, they both had severe frostbite frostbite on their feet and we talked about frostbite in Everest part two, uh, basically where bits of your body like literally freeze. Yeah, and I read a lot about frostbite and it's really quite odd because, yeah, your feet, like your bits of your body literally freeze, but they don't always fall off. So sometimes if you like rewarm it and like basically like melt them, they'll come back to life. Uh, but it depends. It depends how severe the frostbite is, obviously. 
But yeah, so they had very severe frostbite and that was really impacting their speed. So they were really slowing down and it wasn't what they needed because the slower they were, the longer they were out there, the longer their food had to last. They didn't have a lot of food. The longer their oil had to last to get the fires, etc., to keep them warm. So yeah, it was not a great time. First of all, Evans continued to get worse. So he, like I said, had the severe frostbite, but he also had further injuries from some falls. So he had a couple of falls and, and potentially like he had a really bad hand injury that wasn't healing and then potentially had a head injury as well. But basically he eventually collapsed and died and that was about a third of the way back from the pole. So he died pretty early on at this point. So they continued walking and they were getting towards one ton depot. And at this point, Scott thought that the people he had sent back were going to come and meet him with the dogs and help get them back home. But they did not appear. Yeah, so that wasn't great. The fact that, so there was quite a few problems hitting them at that point. The, the people with the dogs weren't there when they were expecting them. The weather was getting worse, which was not great uh, and, and much worse than they expected. A lot colder, lots of blizzards. So they were just getting slower and slower because they had just terrible conditions to walk in. The depots were getting quite hard to find because they'd been there a long time and because of the yeah terrible weather conditions, we made it a bit hard to navigate. And like I've mentioned a couple of times, they were running very low on oil, which they needed for the fire. So all of this meant that basically they were on, sometimes only only traveling eight kilometers a day. And yeah, if you compare that to what we said earlier of Amundsen's average of 28 kilometers a day, that isn't good. It's all like a little bit confusing as to why the dogs didn't come and meet them. It, like Scott clearly did leave them instructions to meet them. The officers that were kind of left behind didn't really seem to organize that or make a plan. And yeah, they did eventually like send some people out, but they eventually were like sent someone out that I like, couldn't see very well and couldn't navigate very well. But they got, basically they got to a one ton depot which, like we said at the beginning of the episode, was actually much more towards the ship than it should have been. So they got to Wonton Depot, didn't see Scott and, and everyone else, so turned around and left, basically. Which, yeah, wasn't wasn't great and wasn't what Scott and his team needed. Uh, and when they were at, at Wonton Depot, their team, Scott and co, were probably about 70 kilometres past the depot at that point. So they were pretty close. You know, if, you, if if Amundsen was doing 30k a day, we're only talking like two and a bit days away from them, which, yeah, isn't isn't great. So at this point, with, with everything looking pretty dire, uh, Oates was just getting slower and slower due to his condition. Like his feet were just totally frozen and he just really struggled to walk and to move. And Scott was supporting him, but Oates eventually decided to sacrifice himself. And he would, he wanted to sacrifice himself so that basically the, the rest of the team could go faster and hopefully they could get back uh, without, without worrying about him. So he basically just left the tent one day and just, just walked out and died in the cold to let the hypothermia take him basically uh but when he did that uh he left he said the his last words were the very famous last last words of i'm just going outside and maybe some time 
and that's what Scott wrote in his diary that were his last words but that I may be some time bit is is something that's been very quoted over the years so yeah sadly Oates then died but even with that happening and even with Oates leaving the team and the rest of the team being able to speed up they managed to get within 11 miles of one ton depot but at that point at the 11 mile mark they were just hit by a huge blizzard and I like we're talking very cold temperatures here like minus 30 degrees celsius minus 40 degrees celsius like temperatures that I'm like can you even survive in maybe you can but I doubt it we talked about this last week with um Dyatlov you know like just so cold just just temperatures where if you're not wearing lots and lots of layers and doing lots and lots of things to keep yourself alive you're, you're just gonna die and at this point, basically, they were just unable to continue. They tried to continue, but they just, it was just the conditions were too bad and they just couldn't, couldn't carry on. So sadly, the three of them died in the tent at that point. And the last diary entry from Scott was on the 29th of March, 1912. And this was his last entry. He wrote, Every day we have been ready to start for our depot 11 miles away. But outside of the door of the tent, it remains a scene of whirling drift. I do not think we can hope for any better things now. We shall stick it out to the end, but we are getting weaker, of course, and the end cannot be far. It seems a pity, but I do not think I can write more. Ah, Scott. Last entry. For God's sake, look after our people. So yeah, and it it seems that he probably was the last one to die based on the positions of the bodies when they were found. But yeah, it was just too cold. And they just couldn't couldn't continue on. Once they didn't return back to the ship, there was no real rescue attempt, mainly because at this point it was just getting so cold and wintry that it was it would just be a death mission to try and go out there and find them. And they knew that they would have run out of food by that point, so it was just a little bit pointless. So uh, the winter then happened. So that was that was at the end of March when when they died. But it was only in October that the crew of the Terranova set out to try and find them. And they did find the bodies. They found uh, the last three men together in the tent. All had died from hypothermia. Uh, and they the crew decided to bury them there. And they buried the tent, buried the, the three men inside. And they erect, erected like a, a monument on top to mark where it was. Once that happened, they basically left <laughs> Antarctica. Obviously, that's a pretty tragic way to end your expedition. And so they left Antarctica and they sailed back to New Zealand. And in New Zealand, they it took them three months to get there. And then they got the news back to the UK to inform them what happened. And it was an interesting time and Scott was like very much like lauded as a hero and he was really like recognized for what he had done and and was very much very popular in the public's eye and yeah was very much respected and that like Scott and his achievements really outshone anything to do with Amundsen and and what he had actually successfully done so yeah at the time Scott was really really well liked i guess by the public but since then his persona and how he's described and and what we know about him has really changed so there was then a book written a few there's been so many books about this but then and i'll talk about some of them at the end but there was a book written a little bit later which basically 
like slated him, <laughs> which was really like this whole thing was his fault. He was really incompetent. He was short tempered. He was unwilling. He was not a great leader. And he just made stupid decisions. Uh, so it, they, the Navy and the British really took the the strategy of kind of going and figuring out when they got there and they would make it work. You know, they were really like kind of relying on on their entrepreneurial spirit to to get them through compared to Amundsen who had trained, practiced, knew exactly how he was going to do it, knew 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 how they were going to work, you know, looked at all the different options and and was like very methodical and stuff in his training. And so it was seen that 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 was very much like a failing on Scott and that he yeah wasn't wasn't fit for leadership and i think i think there is some some obvious bits of this like when we talked about the dog's point i think that he was very unwilling to really see what the how the dogs worked and and what would happen and i think that he probably made some stupid decisions in terms of uh like taking five people to the pole and and not being very clear with his instructions in terms of coming to rescue them it's like a real hard one to to know and obviously this you know this is like over 100 years ago right so how how will we really know but yeah his his persona is an, is interesting and how the public perceive him is interesting i'd be very interested to know what you think of him and whether you think that he was this kind of tragic hero or whether you think he was just really incompetent and stupid and um, made all the wrong decisions and he definitely seems less respected than Ernest Shackleton who we talked about earlier and Shackleton was like really lauded after his endurance trip and I'll do an episode on endurance because uh, I read that book I read a book about it a couple of years ago and it's so interesting where basically they went out on the endurance and it got all smashed up and they basically like rode themselves back to South America. Um, so it's super interesting. We'll do that one at some point. But yeah, so Shackleton was like very much more respected and seems to be still today. And there was a good quote actually on one of the, on one of the um, websites that I read, which said, Scott for scientific method, Amundsen for speed and efficiency, but when disaster strikes and all hope is gone, get down on your knees and pray for Shackleton. <laughs> And I thought that was quite good uh, in terms of the the views of of them and and what they did because Scott did do a lot a lot for science in terms of of his trip, but yeah, pretty tragic and pretty sad really that they all ended up that way. But I think everyone that went on that trip knew that there was a pretty big chance that they weren't coming back. It. I was kind of debating like what we learned. It was an interesting time. Obviously, they learned lots of stuff on these trips. It was a time that was very much known as like this heroic age of ice exploration and this like heroic age of 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 travel. And that really, this was really one of the last trips that fell into that bracket that where people were really interested in in exploration and and all of this kind of scientific pursuit. Uh, obviously, because just a couple of years later this would be eclipsed by the war so yeah it was it was very a very specific time in history they did do a lot of scientific achievement though on this trip which was great and we learned a lot out of that so actually what they did do is when they were on their way back scott and co from the pole they did spend a bit of time finding fossils and those fossils that they found 
basically indicated that the continents had once all been joined together because of, of what they found and that Antarctica had indeed once been warm. So some really like fundamental uh, bits of science that they that they found out as they were there. Otherwise, Scott has been very much remembered since there's been a lot of things named after him. There's Scott Base in Antarctica, uh, which is, yeah, a very popular base there at the moment. And yeah, he seems to be remembered well. But I guess I never really realised the, the controversy that surrounded him. So yeah, it's an interesting one. Cool. And I'd be very interested to hear your thoughts on him and this race and whether you find Antarctica interesting, because I do. In terms of books, so I struggled <laughs> a lot with some of the books around this. I think because this is the first episode we've done that's like really, I mean, we did we did Titanic, but this is the first one that is very much like a long time ago. And there have been so many books written on it because there's just been so much content and in all honesty, I found some of the books a little bit dry and a little bit like the history content I don't enjoy um, in terms of like really long, really detailed, just not very interesting. I don't have many to recommend. One, if you are really interested in this, there is the kind of definitive work, which is called Amundsen and Scott by Roland Huntford. It was written quite a while ago. That is like I mean, the book must be like the size of a doorstopper. Like it's it's a humongous book and it literally covers everything. It covers everything from like the birth of Scott and the birth of Amundsen and their entire lives, basically, through all of their all of their trips before these ones. The trips in detail, it covers everything, but it is humongous. Uh, like I read it on, oh, I say I read it. I had I have it on my Kindle and you know a normal Kindle book is like six minutes and it was like um, six minutes it's like six hours and this book was like 16 hours and I was like oh god so I cannot admit to finishing it I did I've kind of skimmed it it is interesting and if you are interested in this maybe it's a good book for you to read but if you aren't into 16 hours of history on this topic maybe not one for you there's another one which I didn't read, but I wish I had, uh, called Captain Scott, which was done by Ranulph Fiennes, uh, who I quite like some of his other books. So I would like to read that and see if it is better than some of the other ones. Uh, and I also read a book called I May Be Sometime by Francis Bufford, which I thought would be about this trip, but wasn't, was very much more around like the concept of ice exploration and kind of the the history and society at the time so if you're interested in that then yes maybe give that book a read much shorter than the amundsen and scott book i I mean that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of content there is out there for them but like i said i i struggled a little bit with some of the research for this because some of it is a little bit dry uh but hopefully i have summarized the interesting bits for you on this episode so thank you very much for listening. Uh, please do follow me on Instagram at when it goes wrong pod. Uh, I would love to chat to you there and hear what you think about this. Uh, or you can also email me at when it goes wrong pod at gmail.com. Uh, and also feel free to send me any upcoming episode suggestions. <laughs>